message is going to be a little bit different. It's more me sharing, uh, just from my heart, some of the things that I've learned this week and then also uh, through this process. And I'm going to share from the passage we were planning on preaching uh, because the truth is in there. But I'm not going to teach everything that's in the passage. And so if you're a guest, uh, come back next week if you want to hear more normal message, I guess. Um, <clears throat> but uh, I, I just want to, uh, to share with you really one simple truth, and, uh, and I'll do that from our passage and uh, through some of the things that the Lord's been teaching me. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll open up. We'll be in Mark, by the way, if some of you like to get a head start. Mark chapter 3, let me pray. Father, thank you um, just for the opportunity to gather together as believers, and I pray for those that are not believers that are here today, that you just let the love of Christ overwhelm their hearts. Uh, I pray for uh, those of us who are uh, walking through the valley right now, that you would give words of encouragement. I pray for those that are uh, at a mountaintop experience with you or in their careers or in their lives in general, that they would just give you all the glory for all that's happened. And uh, I pray, God, that you'd use my words, anoint my lips right now to speak the truth that you want spoken uh, to these folks that are here that will hear online. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So I just want you to think about your life for a moment and think about some of the exciting moments you've had, some of the great victories, maybe you got your first job or a promotion, had a baby, got married, whatever, and then some of the valleys you've walked through, losing loved ones, losing jobs, uh, various different difficulties that many of us have had. Nancy's sharing about a divorce and, and the struggle with some of that, and some of you have been through that. And so you think about your high moments and your low moments. Think about you know the victories and the defeats, the mountaintops, the valleys, the, the, the great times, the dark moments. And I'm speaking really specifically to Christians right now. And so if you're not a Christian, you can listen in today. It's totally great that you're here. But I'm really talking to Christians. Have you ever noticed that when God's at work in your life, oftentimes Satan is at work too? That, that sometimes, you know, you make a decision for Jesus or you, God uses you in some way, but then the enemy's right there at, at oftentimes simultaneously or right after that moment. And uh, that's a reality in our experiences oftentimes. And I know that some people that might be here today might think, oh man, that's kind of spooky to talk about spiritual stuff happening. And I just want to focus on, you know, doing a good job at my job and taking care of my spouse and kids or whatever. Uh, but what we oftentimes don't realize is there is a spiritual battle that's taking place all the time. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul tells us about it, that we don't war against flesh and blood. And so it's not just about, you know, getting your taxes done. By the way, that's coming up, side tip. It's not just about being a nice guy to your neighbor. It's not just about that stuff. He says, we don't just war against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, every bad thing that happens is not attributed to Satan. He's not omnipotent, not all-powerful. He's not omnipresent. He's not all the place all the time like God is. Sometimes it's the world, and it's just broken here. Sometimes it's your flesh, but oftentimes the enemy is attacking you. And I've seen this in my own life. I remember in college, I would preach in college. Uh, at our, we went to a Christian school, and then chapels on Fridays, I would, I would preach to the student body. And the messages were not good. <laughs> I'd gone back and looked at some of the notes, and were like, you really said that? Anyway, um, but I studied the Bible. I really did. <laughs> and I prayed, and God would work still, even though it wasn't a great sermon. And then you, you have this great moment. And then I will tell you, it was almost formulaic. I knew that I was going to face a ton of temptation with the weaknesses that I had at that time. And they change, right? you got chinks in your armor, and then God grows you, and different things happen. And I would get doubts, even doubts about what I preached that morning that would come. And, and it was like God was at work, and oftentimes Satan was right there too. And some of you, some people trusted Christ as Savior last week. We had three services last week as a church. At every one of those services, uh, at least mul multiple people in every service raised their hands and said they trusted Christ as their Savior. And so that's, yeah, we can give the Lord a hand for that. 
And that's exciting. And God's at work and changing those lives. Now, some of you, by the way, didn't fill out your card that you trusted Christ. And for various reasons. I know some of you don't want us to come show up at your house or whatever. We're going to show up at your house. I promise you that. Uh, but I'd love to meet you. If you trusted Christ last week and you just didn't want to check it on the card for whatever reason, just come up to me. We're going to do baptism after the service. If you want to get baptized today, go out to the blue tent. We'll baptize you and then we can meet then. Uh, but uh, we'd love to just know that you trusted Christ and how I can help you out. Um, but the, the God did that work in somebody's life. Let me tell you what happens in a bunch of those folks' lives. Right afterwards, Satan attacks. Satan is an accuser and he's a liar. And so he comes and says, well, that wasn't real, not for you. You didn't really mean it. It was just emotional, just because of the moment. And that's not true. You're not going to become one of those religious fanatics. And all these doubts start coming in. He wants to stop you. He wants to cut. When God's at work, oftentimes Satan's right there. Some of you made steps. I had other people come up to me last week and say, you know, this is going to be my church, and I'm going to be, I want to become a member, and something happened. One guy said to me, you made a Dumb and Dumber reference on an Easter service. This is my church. You know? <laughs> One person came up. They, they, it was their first time. They're like, We're, I'm going to join this church. And so people wanted to, because what they want to do, when you become a member, what you're doing is become part of the family. You want to identify, this is my family. And uh, what attacks are going to come on their life now? Some, some people may decide, you know, you're the man in the house, and, but you've been letting your wife do all the spiritual leading, but you know that God called, holds you accountable for discipling your kids and leading them in the home, so you decide to step up, but then you know what happens? I don't want to, and she's better at it. And, and, and there's always a reason, because when God's at work, Satan's right there too. But I want to declare to you one simple truth today. It's what we sang in the song before the message. Jesus is stronger. So I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what circumstances are going on with you, with people that you love, but Jesus is stronger. And so if you have your Bibles, I'm going to read to you from Mark chapter 3 today. We're going to look at verses 20 through 30. And there's a lot here, and I'm not going to cover all of it uh, this week. We'll come back to some of it next week. But there's one thematic truth here, and it's that Jesus is stronger. And we'll look at it together. Uh, just to give you the context, Jesus is really popular uh, for two chapters so far. Uh, he's been healing people. He's been casting demons out of people. He healed a guy that wasn't able to walk, who was lame. He forgave his sins. And what Jesus is showing is his power. There's a question throughout the book of Mark. Is who is this Jesus? And what we're seeing is that Jesus is stronger. He's really popular, so this crowd gathers around. That's what verse 20 tells us. So then Jesus entered a house. We don't know which house, but there's only been one house so far in the book of Mark, and it was Peter's mother-in-law's house. And I don't know if you remember, about a couple months ago, we were talking about that passage, and Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. So gracious. And again, a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. That's how many people are in this house. When his family heard about this, so his family members heard about this, they're not there. Uh, they went to take charge of him. Literally, they wanted to arrest him. They wanted to bind him. For they said, he's out of his mind. So he's doing so much that he wouldn't even eat food. He's got to have lost his mind. And so we're going to come and take possession of Jesus, save him from himself. They don't understand him. And that's a theme through here too. And the teachers of the law who came down from, the, from Jerusalem said, some of your translations say the scribes, these are the religious professionals. He's possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons he's driving out demons. So Jesus, this is how Jesus responds, called them and spoke to them in parables. And so Jesus gives multiple examples here. He says, how can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom's divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. Same truth in the next parable, just another illustration of it. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand, his end has come. These are kind of self-evident parables. Division leads to destruction. You can't possibly move, you can't have an army arguing with each other internally and making progress on their missions. That's one of the reasons why God cares so much about unity and the church. And Jesus is saying here, Satan even understands this principle. 
So he's saying to the scribes, what you're saying is ridiculous. Satan's not going to cast out a demon. Then verse 27, this is where we're going to focus today. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up, binds, arrests, wordplay, the strong man. Then he can rob his house. And verse 28, and don't miss verse 28 because verse 29 is so shocking. Remember verse 28. I tell you the truth, all sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them. There's not a sin I can't forgive. Then verse 29, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He's guilty of an eternal sin, a sin with eternal consequences. He said this because they were saying he has an evil spirit. Now, I'm going to share with you as a preacher uh, what oftentimes happens. So I'll preach today, and then tomorrow uh, I'll go and start looking at the next passage and try to figure out what does the Lord want to say and how does he want to say it. And so last week was Easter, and preached three times on Easter, and then was with people all day after that, and I had what I call an Easter hangover. And Monday morning came, and I wasn't drunk in the spirit, but I was, uh, I was, I was feeling, I wasn't feeling it, if you know what I'm saying. And Monday morning comes, and I get to this passage, and I've been preaching now uh, just at Southbridge for over nine years. And so I've got enough experience now where I've come on these Monday mornings, and some weeks it's easy. Like some weeks you come to a passage and you're like, here it is. Like the outline just comes out of the passage, what you're going to share, what your people need to hear, not just what Mark needed to share with his people, but what the people of your church you think need to hear. It's just there, and that is a fun week to put things together, because then it's just, how am I going to share it? That wasn't what happened to me on Monday this past week. I came to this passage, and I was like, man, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff here, but what does God want me to say to our folks? And and then there's the stuff in here about the unforgivable sin, and people want to, Christians want to know about that. You know, Christians ask sometimes, have I done that? Maybe they accidentally used the Lord's name in vain, which is a bad sin, but it's not an unforgivable sin. And lots of junk is out there about, if you just Google unforgivable sin, you'll get a lot of, don't do that, okay? It's bad. <laughs> Some people say the unforgivable sin is adultery. Some people say the unforgivable sin is murder. Some people say that it's blasphemy. Don't forget verse 28. Verse 28. All sins and blasphemies. So it's not adultery, and David's sure glad about that, a guy who wrote a bunch of the Bible. It's not murder. Moses is thankful for that, a guy who wrote a bunch of the Bible. It's not blasphemy. And Paul's thankful for that. They wrote the majority of the New Testament and confesses his blasphemy in 1 Timothy chapter 1. There's one kind of sin, though, that he says here. It's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So what is that? Well, remember, you got the context. The context is... That these guys have seen the very work of God and attributing it to Satan. Here's what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. It's when you, God keeps trying to work in your life to get you to turn to him, and your heart is so hardened that you might even view the work of God as satanic, as demonic. It's a refusal to repent. So I don't think it's even possible for a Christian to commit the sin. So if you're worried that you've committed it, let me just tell you something. That's probably a sign you haven't. Because of the lack of sensitivity to God working to the point where here's the sin God doesn't forget. You don't ever repent. You don't ever turn of your sins. You didn't ask for forgiveness. That's your sin. It's rejecting Christ. And so I'm not going to spend time teaching about the, whole, about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I just did. <laughs> uh, I know people want to know about that, but there's this theme in here that I want to share with you today, and it's just one simple truth, and it's that Jesus is stronger. And so I don't know what you might be facing at work. I don't know what you might be facing with your finances, with your family, with disease and death and people that want to take their lives and divorces that are happening and all this stuff that's going on. But I'm going to tell you this one truth. Jesus is stronger. 
And we see it in this passage. You think about what happens in this passage. Go back up to verse 20 and just rethink through what's happening here in this passage. In verse 20, it says that Jesus is so popular that this house is crowded. Why is he so popular? Well, what's he been doing? He's been changing people's lives. How do you argue with a changed life? Like, you can't argue with that. If a guy's blind and now he can see, how do you say, no, no, you can't really see? You know, Nancy shares her story about being able to forgive and now she's free. Are you going to tell her she's not free? God changes somebody. How do you argue with that? And so all these people are hearing this. And you know who's coming? It's all the people we see through the Gospels. And so some people have diseases and some people have demon possession. Some of them have problems in their family. Like there's one time where people come to Jesus and say, solve the dispute about the inheritance, Jesus. <laughs> they want to solve problems. They got issues with their kids. They got marriages falling apart. You got diseases. All these people are coming and it says in verse 20, you can look at it yourself. It's so packed in there that they can't eat. And I try and picture how packed does it have to be to not be able to eat? can't get the food. I mean, so many people. How, I mean, we were, we're, we're full today. Like I saw that we were running out of seats. And last week, uh, the eight o'clock service, we had people sitting on the floor for Easter. But we had duck donuts. <laughs> and people still ate the donuts. So even though we didn't have a seat in the house, we were still able to eat. This is more packed than we are today. This is more packed than we were last week when people were sitting on the floor. So packed they couldn't, and what Mark's trying to say is they couldn't even do basic stuff. And there's so many people around to care for and to help. They weren't even thinking about their own needs. So his family thinks he's losing it. His family doesn't understand him. But somehow there's a part of the story that Mark doesn't tell us. He just jumps to the, the content and he skips some of the details. Matthew is more verbose. Matthew, there's more chapters in Matthew. If you look at the book of Matthew, there are more details when he shares some of the stories. And Matthew chapter 12, you can study it on your own. We'll go to the whole passage today. But Matthew chapter 12, we find out that there was a man that Jesus just healed. Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 and 23, you see this guy's problems, he, they were like most of ours, and they're complicated. Like some of us come in here and are like, oh, I struggle with fill in the blank, and oh, I got anger issues, I got lust. No, you got a lot of stuff. God's just gracious that he doesn't show you all of it at once. And you see layers of this guy's problems in this passage. So Mark chapter 12, verse 22, it says, Then they brought him a demon-possessed man. Spiritual problems. Continual torment. Who was blind? <laughs> okay. Physical problems he can't even see. So somebody else is bringing him to Jesus, and somehow they're making their way through this crowd. And mute. He can't speak. You don't think that led to some social problems? What do you think it was like? emotionally for this man there's layers of issues here and look at how simple the next statement is and jesus healed him <laughs> do you know why because jesus is stronger and it doesn't say jesus talked to the guy for a little while and they scheduled another session for next week and then he was supposed to do some physical therapy and six months later he's going to check back jesus healed the guy that's nothing for jesus i don't know what your circumstances are but there's no circumstance that binds jesus and we'll get to that in just a moment so he could talk and he could see. And then verse 23 says what the, the effect it had on the rest of the people. And all the people, so this crowded house, all the people were astonished. And they said, could this be the son of David? That's a Jewish way of saying, is this the promised Messiah? Is this the Christ? They're wondering this. And then Mark picks it up right there and says there's some experts in the law, the religious rulers that are supposed to lead the other people. And they can't deny the power of Jesus. No matter, you go through all the Gospels and these people that saw Jesus face to face and hated him and killed him never once said that he didn't have power. But what they did is they said the power came from a different source. The teachers of the law who came down from, they came there to judge Jesus, came down from Jerusalem and said, he's possessed by Beelzebub. That's Satan. It's a word for Satan. Some people believe that it means um, Lord of the house, Lord of the 
home. That becomes relevant in a minute. By the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. So Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables. And I love this. I just want to point this out to my wife again. Uh, that He uses multiple examples to teach the same truth. He says, how can Satan drive out Satan? He can't, is the answer. Even Satan knows this. If a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. Look, Rome, look, who, any kingdom throughout history, you can't do that. It won't work. If a house is divided, this is true in our homes as well. If a house is divided, the house cannot stand. He uses this other illustration. And then he says, in fact, no one, or, or I'm sorry, and if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come, and Satan knows this to be true, and Satan's not so foolish as to do something like this. And so what happens is that Jesus heals this guy who can't speak, probably can't hear either. He's blind, and he was demon-possessed. And with the word of his mouth, he's able to heal all of those things simultaneously. The guy's, like Nancy said, I was free. Can't argue with that, but instead, God's at work, and what do we see? Satan is right there at work too. Oh, that wasn't God. That was Satan at work. And Jesus said, that's ridiculous to even say that. But here we see it happening in the life of Jesus. If it happens in the life of Jesus, let me tell you something. Don't be so arrogant as to think it won't happen in yours. If when Jesus is at work, Satan's right there, you don't think that in your life, when God's at work in you or through you, the enemy doesn't want to stop that? Let me tell you something. We have a vision as a church that takes down the kingdom of darkness. We want to be a city on a hill. We want to let our light shine. We want to be the salt. We'd be so changed that people would see our lives and they would glorify God. Satan hates that. He would rather we played religion. He would rather we just were nice people that attended a thing once a week. But we're talking about seeing lives changed. And it's happening and Satan doesn't like it. And so some of you, you make decisions. Trust Christ, lead in your family. You, you're going to be generous and then you think it's a coincidence that the water heater goes out? You're going you're gonna to step out by faith and you're going to, and then all of a sudden there's an obstacle there for that? When God's at work, Satan's at work too. You see it thematically throughout Jesus' life. Jesus talks about it. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, he says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Here's the threefold plan of the enemy, talking about Satan. He wants to steal from me. He wants to rob from you the life that God has from you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your relationship with God. He wants to destroy your relationship with other people, with your neighbors, with your friends, and your marriage. He wants to kill you. But I have come, Jesus said, I can give you life. I'm going to give you abundant life, the real life that you were intended to live, not a shell of an existence like many people experience, walking around even with success, empty on the inside. He said, I'm going to give you real life. But you know what the reality is? Both those things oftentimes happen simultaneously. Jesus comes to give life like he's doing in this passage with this man. He's just giving him freedom. He's just giving him life. And he's not, how can you attribute that to the one who came to steal and to kill and to destroy? Because that's what was happening to this man. But when God's at work, Satan's oftentimes at work too, simultaneously. And you see it thematically through Jesus' life. And think about some of the scenarios in Jesus' life. We've seen it throughout Mark. You just go Mark 1 through 3 and see it happening there. When Jesus gets baptized, we're going to do baptisms today. And some of you are going to take that step of faith. Well, it's a great day to, to be baptized. And, and anytime you're ready to take that step of faith, make it known. Jesus gets baptized before he starts his public ministry. Paul gets baptized before he starts his public ministry. Significant day. Jesus gets baptized. You know what happens the day Jesus gets baptized? Heaven opens up and a voice comes from heaven and says, This is my son whom I love. I'm well pleased with him. Do you know what happens right after that? It's temptations. 
Read it in every gospel account. It has the baptism in Mark chapter 1 and Luke and in Matthew, Matthew chapter 4. You see Jesus gets baptized, then the temptations. You know why? Because God's at work. Satan's oftentimes right there at work too. Last week we celebrated Easter, and the week before that was Palm Sunday. And so think about the life of Jesus and what we're celebrating in those weeks. People lay down palm branches. They're singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, and the highest. You know what comes after that? Before even the cross is the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is praying. He says, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from You don't think Satan was present in that moment? There's a spooky verse in Luke in the temptations of Jesus where after Jesus overcomes and has victory because he's stronger, the temptations of Satan, where it says that Satan left him until an opportune time. I believe that Satan was tempting Jesus continually all throughout. John chapter 6, they try to make him a king without a cross. You continually see the temptations that Satan presented in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4, and they're not documented in Mark chapter 1. He doesn't give us all the details, but you see them in, in his life all throughout. What happens with Peter? Peter, he says, who do people say that I am? Moses and Elijah. And who do you say I am, Peter? And from God, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Great moment. What happens a couple seconds later? Get behind me, Satan. Because when God is at work, Satan's oftentimes right there too. And if it happens in Jesus' life, let me tell you something. You're not exempt. I don't know what God's doing in your life. But I know that Jesus is stronger. Which is the point that he makes in the next parable, in verse 27. After he tells him that Satan's not foolish enough to fight himself, verse 27 he says this, No one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up, binds the strong man. Then he can rob his house. So who's the strong man? Let me tell you just real quick. The strong man is Satan. His house is this world, his domain. His possessions are the people that are in bondage to him, that believe the lies, that are trapped in sin, that don't have Christ. And what Jesus has been doing is he's bound, ironically, people were coming to bind him. He's bound Satan, made him utterly helpless, and now he's stealing his possessions. He's taking his people back from him. So how do you know that? Well, you look at the passage, context always tells you what's going on here. Jesus, what have we seen even through Mark as a whole? Is it this guy's demon-possessed? Satan had power over this man. Satan's the strong man. And, and what, is, what is his house? Well, we know the scripture tells us in other places, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, that Satan is the god of this age. He's the god of the, the air here. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2. I'll read you 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. It says this, The god of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. You ever read the Bible and think to yourself, how do the people see Jesus do these miracles and not believe? That's how. Because the issue is not a flesh and blood issue. It's not if we just explained it clear enough, then you'd believe. No, it's a spiritual issue. We battle not against flesh and blood, but against angels and principalities. And that's what's taking place in some of your hearts in this very moment. And what Satan does is he has rule and reign that's his house beelzebub lord of the house and what jesus is showing no i'm I've, I've just invaded his house i've come to this place to this earth and i bound him and i have victory and i'm taking people back and that's what you see every time you see him free somebody what, what you saw in nancy's life this testimony she shared today when you see those people that trusted christ last week and some of your lives the way that god's worked that's jesus showing that he is stronger but let me tell you something every time he does one of those things Satan's right there. He doesn't want that to happen. And so, I'll just share with you what happened in our family uh, this past week. For those of you who don't know, 
Uh, this, you know, obviously I told you Easter was awesome. We have people trust Christ every service. I don't know exactly how many. I saw three people for sure raise their hand that they trusted Christ in the first service. And I thought that was going to be all Christians. And then there was more. The second service I just heard a bunch was the number I was given. A lot. We couldn't count them all. And uh, the last service I heard of like 11 people had raised their hand and trusted Christ. And so we had like tens of people <laughs> trust Christ. I don't know how many. Um, so I'm pumped about that. I mean, that's why we moved here. That's why we're starting this church. I wanted to see that happen. But I'm wiped out the next day, though. So I try to put an outline together. Then that evening, go out to dinner with my family. We had a great time. About 6.30, come pulling into our little North Raleigh neighborhood. Our neighborhood has about 10 houses in it. It's about as close to leave it to Beaver as you can get in this day and age. And so we hang out. We know all of our neighbors. It's great. And so we pull into the house, and uh, we unload. I've got four daughters. My oldest is 10. My youngest is four. And we've got two in between there. Don't ask me right this moment. And... Uh, we go inside the house, and I said to my oldest daughter, Ella, who's 10 years old, I said, hey, I'm going to go work out. You want to go to the Y with me? And she said, sure. And then she said that one of our neighbors had left a kite on the front porch, and so she wanted to run over to his house and tell him thanks face-to-face. -face. And I said, all right, I'll get dressed. You go tell the neighbor thanks. And so I go back in the bedroom. Shanna's on her computer. She's looking some stuff up that I had asked her to look up. And, and then I start putting on my workout clothes. So I got my shorts on. I got my T-shirt on. And I remember I sat down on the edge of my bed, and I'm putting my sock on. So it had been five, maybe ten minutes. And then Ella comes running through the door, and I'm not ready for what she's about to say at all. She's about to talk about Gracie, our four-year-old daughter. She says, Gracie's been taken. Some man just grabbed Gracie. And it's one of those moments you don't think. My wife and I just started running. Like, we weren't like, what do we want to do? You know, we just took off. And we ran out the front door, and there's two people that are standing in this driveway. One guy I've never seen before. The other guy's one of my neighbors. And they just both point and say, he went that way. He grabbed her, he went that way, and so I just start running. I don't have shoes on or anything. I start running through the woods. I'm running down valleys, running through creek and all kinds of stuff. And I'm not really thinking in that moment other than where I'm just looking. Like, I'm looking for movement. I'm looking for a person, somebody that's holding. I don't even know what the guy looks like. Somebody holding my daughter, running with my daughter. And so I run. I get to this horse fence. I'm just screaming the whole time, too, as loud as I can, you know, Gracie, Gracie. I get to this fence, and I stop. I know I have to go over it. But then I don't know which direction to go after that. And in that moment, it was just like a split second, but I had all these thoughts come. The first thought was, you're never going to see your daughter again. The next was, what am I going to say to my wife tonight when my daughter's not at our house? And what's this going to do to our family? How's it gonna tear, what's it going to do to the other kids? How's it going to tear our family apart? And I jump over this fence, and I'm running. I run through a barn. I'm just yelling, Gracie, Gracie. And I'm running through, covered a lot of property in a short amount of time. I run up to a house, a guy that owns this horse farm uh, that's well behind our house now at this point. And I'm pounding on his windows, pounding on his door, ringing his doorbell, saying, call the police. Did you see anybody come through here? And he said, no. And so I take, I'm done with him. He didn't see anybody. And so I run up. There's a guy out on the street. I'm out on the main road now, and I'm yelling. I come back towards the woods. And I remember at one moment coming back towards a horse fence on the guy's horse farm, thinking, God, I don't, I'm never going to see her. And I don't know if I turned the wrong direction. I don't know. I don't know what, I, I have no shot. And then it was like, I need a miracle. Give me my kid back. And I go running thinking maybe I can circle back around. Maybe the person's hiding and that's why I can't see them. And then my wife starts yelling. One of my neighbors starts yelling, Scott, we have her. She's safe. So now I'm like confused. Like, what, what are you talking about? Because I'm like a madman. You saw running with, you know, a man running with my daughter. What do you mean? Long story short, not to get bogged down in a bunch of details, a guy I never met before gives me a ride back to my house. I was, out the, I was too far from my house at that point from cutting through all the woods. 
Now all of a sudden, walking through the woods barefoot didn't seem like a good idea. <laughs> I didn't want to walk back through at that moment. So this guy gets, lets me get in his car. He drives him around a little 10-house neighborhood. There's 10 police cars there. Lights are flashing everywhere. There's an ambulance there. I come walking up, see my neighbor, who's all bloody because he's been stabbed a bunch of times. I don't know how or why at that moment. And then I see my wife, and she's holding Gracie, but I don't see all the other kids. And so, like, you have everybody. And she said, yeah, everybody's accounted for. I said, that's the man who took our daughter, and he's sitting at the end of this driveway at one of my neighbor's houses. I go walking towards him, and honestly, uh, I had the thought, on, at real quick, it was like all these thoughts were coming, I thought, you had told the church all these forgiveness stories, you've got to forgive him. And on the other hand, I was thinking, you're going to kill him. And both were happening at the same time. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I was going towards this guy. My neighbor walks by me, and she says, he was in my house. I don't know what's happened at this moment. And uh, the police did not let me uh, talk with this gentleman and sent me back. And I later was then told what happened was, before I went running out into the woods, he was running off with my daughter, and this, my neighbor saw him through her garage window and said, where are you going with that girl? And he stopped, and she didn't know it was Gracie at the time, but we were really close to this neighbor, and she recognized that it was Gracie, had the presence of mind to, to say, give Gracie to me, grabbed Gracie out of his arms, he let her go, and said, sit right here, and he sat right there until the police showed up. Which to me, is that's the miracle I was praying for out in the woods. And there's a lot of details that I can't share with you. There's an ongoing investigation, but I'll tell you that our daughter's back with us is safe. She wasn't gone for very long. She wasn't physically harmed. We're working through things as a family still, and I would ask you as our church family uh, to let us do that with our kids, to not bring it up. If our kids say something to you about it, let them talk about it, but don't interject your stuff onto them. And I know everybody would mean well, but just let us do that, please, with our kids. And, um, there's stuff that's happening, and I was debating about how much to share with you, and I know you knew some things. It was obviously a you know, big story that happened. And um, while I was working on uh, thinking through, I write the messages on Thursday night. Thursday night, I'm sitting in my office, and kids are in bed and stuff, and I'm working on, what am I going to share with our church this week? And I was already struggling with this passage, and kind of just want to share my heart. And I got a text message from one of my good friends, one of our elders, Alan Folkrod. He didn't get to hear the message last week uh, on Easter because the video venue had gone down and he was making sure that worked. And uh, so he, on Thursday night, he was listening to the message and he texted me uh, at 10 o'clock while I was writing it and he said this statement. Just checking in. It's almost like God does his best work when we are in our most hopeless state. Quote from you last week at the Easter service in describing a man desperate to help his daughter. Amazing. When I was preaching to you the week before, the day before this happened, I had no idea that would happen, obviously. But I was sharing about a synagogue ruler who leads worship services and uh, was in a desperate state. And his daughter was hopeless. And uh, he went to Jesus. You know why I went to Jesus? Because Jesus is stronger. You know what I learned out in the woods that day? Jesus is stronger. Amen. And I don't know what's going to happen in your life. I don't know what's going to happen in my life tomorrow. So I don't know what's going to happen in your life tomorrow. But I know that Jesus is stronger. And I know that nothing happens in your life that doesn't pass through the hands of God. Because Jesus is stronger than Satan, too. And that's the point of verse 27. If you don't believe in spiritual battles, I want to challenge you to read the book of Job. You know the problem for Job? He never read his own book. And we get to see stuff that happens that Job didn't know was happening. We don't battle against flesh and blood. We battle against the angels and the principalities and the powers of this dark world. 
And what happens in Job's life is he doesn't lose one child, he loses multiple children in one day. He doesn't lose one business, he loses multiple businesses in one day. And the problem for Job is he never got to read verse 12 in chapter 1. And what happened in verse 12 is Satan is arguing with God. And he's accusing Job because he's an accuser. And he says, the only reason that Job loves you is because you make his life so easy. Let me do the, but notice that Satan has to ask permission because he doesn't have authority. He doesn't have power. He's not omnipresent. He's not omnipotent. Smarter than you, stronger than you, does not have power over God. And stuff happens in Job's life, and none of it, it wasn't even about Job. Job wasn't being punished. All the stuff that his friends say, it's stupid. Don't start the book of Job in the middle because it's a lot of bad counsel. You read the beginning, read the end. Here's the summary. Jesus is stronger, and he wins, even when they go through the valley. Because you know, at every time someone walks through difficult stuff, and they're faithful on the other side, it's just proven Jesus is stronger. Every time God overcomes and gives you a greater desire for him than for material possessions, than for lust, than for all the stuff that we get tempted with in this world, Jesus is stronger. Every time someone's in bondage, they get set free. It's Jesus is stronger. Every time someone trusts Christ as their Savior, Jesus is stronger. So my wife and I were talking about all this that happened with us. And some of you know some of our other stories. Some of you know that what, how God's used disease in our life and how we've had other stuff with other kids and different difficult things that I've personally been through. And how many times we've looked darkness in the face and then God takes us out of it and things could have been so different. But he's so gracious. Even if we had, even if some of those things had turned out different, he would have still been in control the whole time. So when I was preaching to you on Sunday morning last week, and I'm saying, it's almost like God does his best work in our most hopeless state. I didn't know that the next day I would be standing out in the woods in a hopeless state, crying out for help for my daughter. But he did. <laughs> what was it like for him to hear that sermon? Oh, if you only knew, Scott. But God does his best work. And what he taught me was, Jesus is stronger. That's what he's showing here in verse 27. Let me read it to you one more time. In fact, no one can enter a strong man, Satan's house, his domain, his reign, and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man and then he robs his house. What Jesus is doing every time he grabs a soul from the pits of hell is he's robbing Satan. Satan hates it. That's why when God is at work, oftentimes you see that Satan is right there working too. See, when God saves somebody, he can't, Satan can't unsave them. Once you're a child of God, you didn't do anything to get saved. He saved you. He died for you on the cross. That's what paid for your sins. Because here's the other one that happens. is that The Garden of Gethsemane happens, then the cross happens. When the cross happens, you know who dies? Jesus, not Satan. You know what that looked like in the spiritual realm at that moment? That Satan had the victory. But then what we celebrated last week takes place, the resurrection. Do you know what Jesus was doing? Flexing his muscles and showing, I'm stronger. Death doesn't have victory. Disease doesn't have victory. Anything that happens in this place, no matter how bad it seems, is not the end. These are light and momentary afflictions in comparison to the surpassing greatness of the glory of Christ we will receive one day. Jesus is stronger. So I don't know what you're facing. I really don't. But I want you to know this word today that Jesus is stronger. And some of you will be here today and you might be here in a couple months, but then in a couple years you're going to fade off and you don't go to another church. I want you to know this truth when you're in a dark moment that Jesus is stronger. You can turn to him. Father, we come before you, and uh, many of us need to turn our hearts to you today. Some for uh, difficult situations we're facing right now, some for the things that are going to come, because they will come. We know in this world we will have troubles. 
but you've overcome this world. You've overcome death. You've overcome disease. You've overcome sickness. You've overcome blindness. You've overcome muteness. You've overcome demon possession. You've overcome suicidal thoughts. You've overcome divorces. You've overcome every difficulty in this world. Thank you for giving me my daughter back. I pray you'd save each one of my kids. I pray that you would have them love you and walk with you and just know your grace. And I pray that would be true for every person that hears these words today. Save them, grow them in you. I pray if there's anybody that doesn't know your son, Jesus is Savior. I don't care what their background is, if it's churched or if it's Muslim or Jehovah's Witness or whatever it is, that at this moment they'd realize that Jesus is supreme, that Jesus is stronger, and they would call upon Jesus Christ to be their Lord. Right now, in this moment, confess their sins and acknowledge their need to be rescued, to be saved. God, we're thankful that you're stronger. I pray you do a miraculous work even through the ongoing investigation that's going on with my family's situation. I pray for neighbors to come to Christ. I pray for people that were uh, having harmful intentions to come to Christ. And uh, I pray that you would do a work in each one of our hearts to make us love you more today than we did yesterday. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.